0: chapter seven a priest on horseback father farmer seventeen twenty to seventeen eighty six by eva k Betz. this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by maria therese chapter seven face things as they are when sebastian's fiancee greta entered the bridge household in philadelphia Mrs. Bridge at once decided that she must be trained to work in the house itself, rather in the dairy. Her quick mind and pretty manners made it pleasant to have her around, and the childless Mrs. Bridge always enjoyed having a young girl near her. Greta was not too happy about it, because she found her employers brusque and cold. This particular day she was bringing tea into the drawing-room for her employers and their guests, Mr. and Mrs. Charles. "'Mr. George Washington is a planter.' Mr. Bridge was saying as Greta entered the room. He lives at a place called Mount Vernon. "'He is the one who drew the plans for the Non-Importation League?' asked Mr. Charles. "'He and a neighbor, George Mason, are largely responsible for pushing it, at any rate.' "'It makes trade with England very difficult,' sighed Mr. Charles. Mr. Bridge eyed his guest sternly. "'Oh, I confirm to all the rulings,' Mr. Charles hastily assured his host. With every order for goods of any kind, I send a note saying that if a tax is laid on any of the materials, I will refuse the shipment. He paused. But it does make things difficult. Mr. Bridge smiled. Things may become even more difficult, my friend, he said, if it comes to a point. Greta, we are waiting. Mrs. Bridge's voice was sharp. That was the trouble. Just when a conversation got to be interesting, Greta had to stop listening and go elsewhere. Our little conveniences, when measured against our liberty, should have no value. Mr. Bridge's voice followed her down the room to where the two wives had been discussing clothes. Liberty. The word was at once both sweet and bitter to Greta. She placed the tea tray on a small table near Mrs. Bridge. You take sugar? Mrs. Bridge poised her saw toothed scissors over the untouched loaf. "'No, not always, and perhaps you had better keep that loaf intact. "'If these silly men have their way, goodness knows when we will get any more, or any more tea. "'Or frocks or bonnets. "'Merchants from Philadelphia, Annapolis, New York, Boston, "'all the seaports are being very unpleasant about those taxes. "'Mercy, it's only a few pence. Why do they fuss so?' "'My brother in England writes most pitifully,' said Mrs. Charles he tells me that merchants and manufacturers will be put out of business if this non importation fad is carried on much longer. We hear that there are mobs in the London streets who seem equally angry because they have no food, and because they say human rights and liberty are being interfered with. Rights, snorted Mrs. Charles, what rights do they have? Greta was glad that her duties in the drawing-room were done. The two conversations, the one between the men and the one between the women both disturbed her. It embarrassed her, too, having Mrs. Bridge and her guest talking as if she, Greta, were deaf. She was worried by the talk between the men, talk which almost sounded as if they were going to defy England, even to break away from her. Surely that would mean more, and Sebastian would have to fight. Greta sighed as she went upstairs with some laundry. There had not always been enough to eat in her home in Holland, and often they were cold but it was a happier place than this she thought having neither money nor luxuries her parents had never had to fret about losing them she had finished her duties upstairs and was just coming down when there came a loud rap at the front door she opened it and a tall man brushed past her with a hasty i will see mr bridge he started into the dining room mrs bridge mrs charles he bowed to the ladies as he greeted them but seemed to begrudge the time needed for even that brief courtesy Ira, a ship is leaving at daybreak. I just learned of it. Mr. Worcester has arranged with one of those priests at St. Joseph's Church to have some workmen from Swabia come on the ship's return voyage. I know you were wanting some workers for your tannery. If you send word quickly to Mr. Harding— The other one, Mr. Farmer, is off on business. If you tell Mr. Harding your wants, he may arrange with the captain to bring some indentures for you. Confound it! I have an appointment with— He stopped suddenly. You, girl, I forgot your name. Greta, sir. I knew it was something outlandish. Greta, do you know where St. Joseph's Church is? Greta's heart leaped. She knew well where it was, and longed to go there, but she had been afraid to ask the Bridges to give her the free time. She was certain they would refuse. It was, indeed, where Sebastian had said they would be married. I know it, sir. Get your bonnet and shawl. I'll write a note to this Mr. Harding, and you will take it down to him. Mind you walk briskly, and don't waste any time, put in Mrs. Bridge. There must be no loitering, either going or coming. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Greta wasn't quite sure which answer was correct, so she gave both. Then she flew from the room up to the little windowless attic where she slept, and was back, ready to go, before Mr. Bridge had sanded the ink on his letter. The evening had that cool, fresh-washed feeling that seems to come only in April, and Greta gulped in the air with delight. In the weeks that had passed since the dreadful time when she had parted from Sebastian at the boat, this was the first time she had been alone, out of doors, and she savored it. The tree-lined streets enchanted her, and her eyes widened as a coach dashed past. It was a famous flying machine, Someone had told her that it went regularly between Philadelphia and New York, and made the trip from one city to the other in only two days. It can't be safe to travel at such speed, she thought, and certainly it cannot be comfortable. She wondered if the coach on its journey passed near Sebastian's house, the house which had been enlarged and beautified for her arrival. She tried to picture it in her mind's eye, but found it difficult because houses in this country were so different from those at home. The mental picture she made wavered between a castle she had seen in her childhood, and the little house in which she had grown up. What with this expanding and contracting of Sebastian's house, I'll go dizzy, she laughed at herself. She realized that her steps had slowed while she dreamed so. She hurried a little. I'd better turn here. Down the street on which she now walked she saw the little Gothic chapel, which served the Catholics of Philadelphia. Attached to it was a tiny building in which the two priests had their quarters. She was about to knock at the door of this little house when someone spoke from behind her. "'You want to see me?' A short, pleasant-looking man came from behind the church building. From the cake mud on his boots and on his hands, it was evident he had been working in the vegetable patch visible behind the church. "'You wanted to see me?' he repeated. "'Yes. You are, Father Harding?' "'I am,' if you will excuse me while I wash some of this earth from my hands. The priest walked over to a rain-barrel which stood at the corner of the smaller building. He took a gourd, which was attached to the wall by a long cord, ladled out some of the rain-water into a small basin, and rinsed and rubbed his hands. He glanced about, and, as nothing else was available, used the grass for a towel. Now I am to some extent clean. We can talk in the church." "'I have come only to deliver a note, Father Harding. "'I am indentured to Mr. Bridge.' "'I thought you were not one of my flock. "'It is not so large that I do not notice new faces,' said Father Harding. "'I should be. "'I I would like to be,' stammered Greta. "'Then, without intending any such thing, "'she suddenly found herself pouring out all her troubles "'and disappointments to the sympathetic priest. "'So instead of being married to Sebastian, "'here I am, an indentured girl, "'living with such unpleasant people.' I'm not even able to have the comfort of going to Mass. You must face things as they are, said the priest. You have surely had a great disappointment, but you must not let it make you unfair. Have you asked if you might go to Mass on Sunday? No, I didn't, Father, because I'm sure they wouldn't let me go. You have come to a decision with no reason behind it. I am equally sure, with reason, that if you ask for permission, and arrange your work so it is not scamped or neglected, you will be permitted to come. Greta sat silent, twisting her fingers in her lap. I know Mr. and Mrs. Bridge, went on the priest. They are thoughtless, perhaps, and Mr. Bridge is gruff of speech, but they are kind and honest. You will have opportunities to learn much about the arts of housewifery, he said gently as he got up, The kinds of food available here and the way of preparing them are very different to what you have been used to. You will be much better prepared to be a mistress of a house after these years of schooling, if you make good use of your opportunity. He re-read the letter Greta had brought. Tell Mr. Bridge that I will speak with the captain about bringing the redemptioners he wants. Together they walked along the path in front of the church. I will go to see the captain now, said Father Harding, and remember all I have said to you. Make use of your opportunities, and do not be resentful towards life. And, who knows, something might happen to bring your marriage nearer. Greta would have liked to ask for an explanation of that last sentence, but Father Harding was hurrying in the other direction. It would be well if she hurried, too. She must have talked longer than she realized, for the evening was about over, and, unless she ran, she would not be home before dark came. On evenings when there were parties, great torches burned in front of the house, where the entertaining was going on. But there were no parties to-night, so no torches flared. In a few minutes the streets would be utterly completely black, and that idea didn't appeal to her at all. She walked as rapidly as she could, breaking into a little run now and then. Suddenly it seemed to her that she was being followed. She hurried and wondered if it was only the pounding of her own head that she heard— No, there was definitely a shush, shush in the dust of the lane behind her. It sounded more like the pad of an animal than the step of a person. But the rope-soled shoes of a seaman might sound like that, she realized. Oh, come, Greta, she scolded herself. You're imagining things. She forced herself to walk more slowly, though she didn't dare turn around. The sound slowed, too. She felt a slight tug on her skirt. Then it was an animal— Perhaps a catamount had wandered in from the woods near the city. With a tremendous effort of will, she made herself keep walking. She could see the house now, the place which until this evening had seemed like a prison to her. At this moment, it was a dear and desired haven, with candlelit windows. If she could get into the light, perhaps she would be safe. Wild animals didn't like light. Mechanically, she went on. Was she near enough so that if she called for help, someone would hear her? but no, she must not shout. The loud noise might throw the thing into pouncing. She had seen cats play with captured mice before killing them. She tried not to think of it, now that she might be cast in the role of mouse. She walked through a clump of grass on the path. The tug on her skirt was stronger. The moon, hidden until now by clouds, suddenly shone down, throwing black shadows, which somehow seemed to be threatening. A few yards from the house she felt a slight prick on her leg, It was not a bad pain. It was just what might be the result of the first tentative probing of a cat's claws. This is the end, she decided. Then suddenly she became angry. If I'm going to die, at least I'll see what kills me, she determined. Tensing herself, she turned. She stood for a moment, blank and puzzled. There was no one behind her. No person, no animal. Yet the following noise had stopped only when she stopped, and there was still the pull on her skirt. It took more courage than she would have thought she possessed to reach down and take the hem of her skirt in her hand. She gasped as she felt a sting, or bite, or prick. Prick! That was it! Someone had been pruning rose bushes, and a discarded branch had caught in her skirt. As it dragged along behind her, it quite naturally hurried, when she hurried. Slowed, when she slowed. Face things as they are, "'whispered Greta, repeating Father Harding's words. "'Maybe facing things makes them not quite so bad. "'You're late,' said Mrs. Bridge, as she entered the house. "'Yes, ma'am, I—' "'You gave Mr. Harding the note?' asked Mr. Bridge. "'Yes, sir. He went at once to see the captain, "'and told me to say he would ask him to bring the redemptioners. "'I am sorry I took so long. "'Well, get to bed now. I was worried about you.' Mrs. Bridge's voice was sharp, but the words were kind. Yes, you. I forget your name. If I send you on an errand late in the day again. Take a lantern boy with you, barked Mr. Bridge. Why, they are kind, exclaimed Greta as she climbed the attic stairs. End of Chapter 7 Recording by Maria Therese